All right, welcome to the Red Triangle Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Kozlowski. Joining me tonight, as usual, Shane Stein. Good to be here, Matt. And no, it's not Kyle Stramara tonight. Switching things up, talking football, bringing him back for his glorious return to Burbank here, Ed Mitchum. Kyle, uh, it's like being a born-again virgin here. It's like I'm, I'm getting a second go at it. It's been a long time. It's great to be back. I'm dying to talk some football, so we'll see what we have in store. Yeah, we're long due for a football podcast covering some of these off-season moves that happened. And today, I think we finally got to a point where we couldn't do it anymore because of the Philadelphia Eagles, which we will get into later on in the show. Um, all right, first, I guess we want to talk about a bunch of um, big names to change teams this off-season. Um, Two-for-one special here for Eddie Mitchum. Uh, Texans, they added a new quarterback, Brock Osweiler, and a new running back, Lamar Miller. Um, Arian Foster no longer in town in Houston. What do you make of Osweiler and Lamar Miller, and how good can the Texans be with those two new additions? I think that they could be a serious contender. Uh, I think they're still in a pretty down division. Um, the coach should get better, but I kind of like what this team did. I like where they're headed. Um, you know, that they were pretty good when Foster was healthy. Um, so I like that addition. A lot of people are down and don't really know what they're getting with Brock Osweiler, but I think with the defense they have and how they're getting better, I think it's a foregone conclusion that Brock Osweiler can come in there and and do enough to keep them in ball games. I mean, they were a playoff team out of a bad division. I see them only getting better. Um, Lamar Miller, a little bit of a down year last year because of his usage. I think that he's going to have a nice year, uh, get to showcase what he can do out of the backfield a little bit more. Um, Denard Hopkins, top receiver. We were, we were on him all year last year. We all loved him. I think that this only helps him. He was great last year with the terrible instability that they had at quarterback, so this can only make him better. Um, so I, I like the Texans going into next year early on. We, we can tell it's been a few months, Ed, with uh, DeAndre Hopkins DeAndre, roam, yeah. roaming outside. for. Not to, not to <laughs> I thought him and Shoelace had a baby this offseason. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you, Ed. I actually – I definitely like the Lamar Miller signing. Um, when he gets all the touches and he, he, he gets enough carries and, and – catching balls out of the backfield. He's actually pretty productive. Um, and I, I don't see a reason why he's not going to get that in Houston. So it seems like he was kind of misused in Miami. And I, I feel like the move to Houston could be a, a real good one for him. Um, Osweiler, the, the jury's still out. Uh, didn't really see enough of him last year. But, I mean, anything's got to be better than what they had, I guess. So, I mean, I don't really see him being a hindrance to, to their success. For me, I feel like this is kind of the, the year for the Texans. This has to be it, I feel like. Um, I, I think the division is still a little down, but I think it's on the rise. Um, I, I think it might be maybe two years away from being a pretty good division again. Um, I kind of like what Jacksonville is doing. I think Tennessee is going to be building something. Um, and Andrew Luck's got to break out and take control at some point, right? So I think this might be might be the year that Houston needs to get it done. Yeah, I, I think Houston can be good, too. I mean, that defense is solid. 
I think Lamar Miller is the guy that gets the big boost here, as we've already mentioned. I think he's a, a first-round back, potentially now, um, if not very early second round. Um, let's be honest, the Dolphins just misused him the last couple years. And the Texans, they don't have anybody else because Alfred Blue stinks at football. Um, and I don't buy Bang Bang Chicken and Shrimp, I think is what that guy's called, Chris Polk. Um, <laughs> That's the guy. So I think Miller gets a nice boost, especially because I don't think Osweiler's very good, but um, I think he's probably better than Hoyer. So it'll be interesting. Um, I would probably take a flyer on Osweiler as like my as my backup quarterback in the league, um, just because with Hopkins and Miller, he has the potential now to I guess maybe vault himself up there. But I definitely like Shane said need to see it from him. All right, um, same division, another running back changing changing uh, homes. I was huge on T.J. Yeldon. Um, you know, his touches were great last year. The one thing he wasn't able to do was find the end zone. So I feel like there was some touchdown regression due for him this year. Um, you know, back to probably league average. So I thought Yeldon had an opportunity to maybe be a top five back this year. Unfortunately, Chris Ivory goes to Jacksonville and now it's a split backfield. And we saw Ivory have a nice little renaissance with the Jets last season. Um, how much does Ivory going to Jacksonville hurt T.J. Yeldon? Uh, I, I don't see a way that it can help him. Um, it, it's scary. Yeldon's a guy that I was high on all year. Took him in the draft. I uh, had him for about three quarters of a year. He was the one one of the few guys on my team that I labeled as a, a guy that I didn't want to trade. Um, but when it came down to it and I tried to make some extra moves, I did get rid of him. Uh, I thought he was a definite keeper option. That's why I was trying to keep him. I thought he was only going to get better uh, with time as that team's getting better. Like Shane said, they're doing a lot of good things down there, trying to make the right moves finally. Um, The concerning part for Ivory coming in is I'm just wondering how much is he going to be a touchdown hawk, like you're saying. You know, Yeldon struggled to get in the end zone last year, and we thought that that would would come along this year. Now I'm concerned that he's going to lose goal line carries, so it kind of puts Yeldon on that watch list of really not being a keeper anymore because you're not sure what you're getting. Um, it'll be a lot easier to tell once you find out closer to draft time <clears throat> what their goal is for Chris Ivory and how they're going to use him and what they're going to do with their backs and as far as splitting them and, and how it's going to be. Is it a timeshare? That's uh, where a lot of teams are going, or is there is there a definite lead back and he's a goal line back? We won't know that until later in the season, but as of right now, where we sit, I think it's definitely a concern and something that Yeldon owners have to be concerned with in a keeper league. Um, and I think it's also in standard leagues probably going to drop his value a little bit. But in due time, we'll find out exactly what it means. Yeah, you, you kind of took it right out of my mouth there. At, uh, I, I know we all talked about Yeldon being a possible keeper for the Yeldon owner in our league. Um, this kind of eliminates that for, for me, from my perspective. I mean, he has some other good options on his squad as well, but... If, if you're a Yeldon owner, I just think you, you can't keep him now. Just too uncertain. Um, probably going to knock him down to more of a... I think he was going to be the bottom end of a first-round tier of running backs before this move, and now now he's a second-tier guy for me. Um, just not certain if he's going to get enough uh, end zone, or red zone touches. It definitely hurts Yeldon's draft day value, um, but I think it actually 
makes me happier as a Yeldon owner because, or as a guy who could potentially get Yeldon, um, I think it's going to bring his value back down to where you won't have to jump so high to get him, and it's going to bring him at a price where you're going to be more comfortable getting him. Um, you know, you always want to draft, I think, with ability in mind first, maybe more so than opportunity. Opportunity can get you so far, but eventually talent, I think, takes over. And I think Yeldon um, is the most talented back in that backfield. So definitely a guy I'll still be targeting on draft day, but I'm going to make sure that he's not the centerpiece of my backfield if I get yeah, it. Yeah, I, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think maybe this keeps us all a little more concerned about him and keeps him from making that C.J. Anderson-type jump. I don't think he was going to be the C.J. Anderson of this year without Chris Ivory there, but I think he was definitely on the border of maybe being that next big name that people were taking a shot on in their drafts, and maybe this kind of pumps the brakes on that and keeps people, you know, keeps him in that second-tier range or the low-end one range where you can still get him where you're comfortable. You know, on the on the turn back, on a round or something, you can still snag him up or for a good price in auction drafts. I, I think you're spot on there. Yeah, let's be honest. I mean, there's so many. there's only so many running backs in football that get 20-plus carries a game. Or 20-plus touches, I guess, is how we should phrase it. Um, if you get an RB2 that's getting 14, 15 touches a game, I think you're pretty happy. So if Yeldon's your RB2 after draft day, I think you're still pleased because I still think he's going to be the focal point. Um, just may end up being, you know, like you said, Ed vultured a little bit here by Ivory. Yeah, is this a little add-on? I did a lot, you know, the blog last year on handcuffing and how important handcuffing is. To me, this jumps out with these two guys, the injury concerns of last year. You never knew if Yeldon was going. Now, they were out of it by the time he was kind of not going, but Ivory was kind of in and out of the lineup and beat up. Does this set up to you as kind of a perfect handcuff situation? Because it almost feels like by week six, one of them's not going to be going each each week, I feel like. I'm not, I mean, I'm, that's hard to predict, but it almost feels like they're not, they're not going to have both of them healthy, I feel like. Um, yeah, I mean, if you get Yeldon, it's not going to hurt you to get Ivory later in the draft. One thing that I think, um, people maybe take into account too much is making sure they get the handcuff for their guy in the draft. I think getting any handcuff in the draft is important. Um, and then maybe as the season goes on, you may look to get your handcuff, um, either through free agency, waiver wire, or trades. Just because at that point in the season, any injury is decimating. Um, but when you're, you know, drafting, sometimes it helps to take flyers with your um, late round picks. And I think you don't necessarily have to go out and get your guy, your handcuff for your, you know, running backs in the draft. It's something that you just have to keep an eye on throughout the year. Yeah, I guess that's kind of my forte. That's where I jump in. Um, I, I always take a lot of heat for it. Um, taking a lot of a lot of backup running backs late in the draft. Um, but I think it's just ne- something that's necessary. I mean, I do it every year. Uh, you gotta, you gotta handcuff somebody. It doesn't always have to be your guy. Um, I, I, I wouldn't have a problem drafting Ivory at all in, in this draft. I mean, I, I feel like he's still gonna be somewhat valuable, and there's always a good chance that Yeldon's gonna miss some time, and Ivory could step in and take that RB one role. All right, let's move over to New England. Um, they add Martellus Bennett as their second tight end in their offense next to Gronk. Um, they also had Chris Hogan to their wide receiving core. 
So he fits in really well with Edelman and Amendola. Um, hashtag little white dude in the slot. Um, so Bennett and Gronk pair up. I, I think they're still kind of chasing that Gronk and Hernandez combo. So how much do you guys buy into Bennett maybe finally fulfilling um, those wishes from the Patriots? Uh, I can't really buy into a full swing because Martellus Bennett's far away from the skill set that Hernandez was for them. Now, is, is he a nice addition to the team? Absolutely. Is he going to do some things for them? Are they going to make plays for him in that two tight end set? Absolutely. But I feel like every time they pick up a tight end last year, people were trying to swirl around the same idea with Chandler and how great of a receiving tight end Chandler was. Well, they found out they couldn't even use him in the ways they wanted to. It didn't really pan out. It's just, I feel like everyone comes back to that Aaron Hernandez thing, and Aaron Hernandez was able to line up as a fullback and motion out and do all these crazy things. He was taking handoff fakes, and their offense was so much more dynamic with him. So I'm not discounting the fact that Bennett makes them better. I think he absolutely does. Anytime you add a guy uh, with his experience and, and, you know, his prowess on the field, he's going to make a team better. But I'm not going to buy into the fact that, you know, this is this brings back that dual tight end threat that they once had. I, I don't think you're going to find that again in the league. That was a kind of once-in-a-lifetime thing, I feel like. Uh, that's a pretty far-fetched statement to make, but it's just not the same skill set. So to say that it's going to be the same thing is crazy to me. I know Shane's going to give a different view. Can't wait to hear it. No, I'm actually not, Ed. Um, I think what people forget is Aaron Hernandez was quite possibly the most athletic tight end maybe that's ever played. <laughs> um, I mean, there's been some athletic guys, but he's up there as far as athleticism at the tight end position. Um, so Martellus Bennett is certainly not Aaron Hernandez. Um, but I, I have to agree with you, actually. It, it's going to help. It's going to boost the offense. I'm actually excited being the Brady owner in our league. I think it makes my decision clear that I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and keep him. Um, I think it just keeps his value sky high. Um, just getting another offensive weapon, and it's going to open up things certainly for for the other offensive weapons on that team uh, with Edelman and Gronk. Uh, who are you going to cover? Um, you got you got to you got to cover somebody. You can't you can't double cover everyone. So someone's going to have single coverage, and it's going to be some matchup nightmares for for other teams. So, but yeah, I, I I'm not buying into the dual tight end thing either because Martellus Bennett isn't Aaron Hernandez. Uh, he, he's just not the same player. So. I'm on the same page with you. Yeah, my one issue with Bennett is just how, how much he's going to be on the field. We see him constantly miss games. Um, if he's on the field for 16 games, I think you could probably have make a case that Bennett and Gronk should both be starting tight end ones in a 12-team league. Um, I just wonder about how many games he's going to play because he seems to always miss three or four throughout the year. And there's also some games that he does play in where he just doesn't show up. So uh, I think maybe the benefit here is for other guys in New England's offense more so than Bennett. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you guys. Does this help or hurt Rob Gronkowski? I don't know that there's a lot that can hurt Rob Gronkowski. I, I mean, Adam Martellus Bennett... It's not like Tom Brady's going to say, all right, he's the guy i got to go to now. He's, I don't think he's going to lose targets. I don't think he's going to lose his red zone threat because 
they're not the same guy. Martellus Bennett isn't going to split out with a corner on him and do what Gronk does. I don't, I don't think they're the same. I think it may help him because it allows him to, to not be on the line of scrimmage nearly as much. I think it helps him because when they're facing teams like the Denver Broncos, Gronk isn't going to be blocking 90% of the plays like he did in the playoffs. Um, that, that absolutely killed him because not only were they keeping him in the block, but he wasn't good at it. So it was kind of a, a double whammy on them. So I think it helps him because it's going to allow him to be out there with where he presents more of a matchup nightmare rather than when he's on the line of scrimmage and you know can get kind of roughed up. He's, he's so much better when he's out there in space and safeties are trying to line up on him than, than in the middle, in my opinion. Oh, I think those are great points. Uh, you brought up Denver, and I think we'd be remiss if we don't mention, obviously, Osweiler goes to the Texans. We already talked about it. Looks like they're going to have a new quarterback in Mark Sanchez. Um, Still, I think some rumors floating around. Somehow, maybe Kaepernick could end up in Denver. I've heard that that's just about dead, but you never know. Um, I thought Denver should have made a run at RG3. I thought he could have done some things with that Broncos offense um, that maybe would have given his career resurgence. But, you know, he wants to go to Cleveland, so... You have RG3 in Cleveland and Mark Sanchez in Denver. Which one of those two quarterbacks do you think has a bigger impact on fantasy seasons this year? Sanchez, and it's not close. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you on that one just because of the, the weapons he has and the fact that that defense is going to force three and outs all day long. He's going to have the opportunity to do well. Um, that doesn't mean I want to buy into Sanchez by any means, but... You know, people, uh, analysts and people all over the landscape are giving the Broncos a tough time with Sanchez. Is Sanchez a great quarterback? No, but they went to back-to-back AFC championships when he was playing with a great defense in the Jets. I think he can still be a quarterback that can get get you what you need. With the weapons he has there, he's got four more weapons there than he ever had with the Jets, and he was able to play well enough to get them to -to back-to-back AFC championship games. So, I mean, I'm not going out and trying to get him fantasy-wise, but I don't think the Broncos are as dead in the water as everyone's trying to make them sound just because they have Sanchez as their quarterback. Um, I think people are buying into it way too much. I think defense still wins championships. They showed that. I don't think that it's a a a foregone conclusion that he can't go out and do what Peyton Manning did this year. I mean, Peyton Manning... Was he not Mark Sanchez-esque this year? I mean, I I don't think that's a crazy statement to make. Well, I was just going to say, Mark Sanchez at this point in his career is probably better than Peyton Manning was last year. And that's hard. it's hard for me to say those words, but Peyton was downright dreadful last year. Um, in defense of RG3, the one thing I will say is Hugh Jackson, for as much as I said that's not a good fit for him going to Cleveland, he is a creative offensive mind. I think maybe he'll be able to figure out a better way to utilize RG3 and actually play to his skill set. So I'd be willing to take a shot on um, RG3, but it's going to be a short leash, and it wouldn't be as my QB1. Yeah, getting back to Sanchez, has has there ever been a guy that's that's fell into kind of better situations than, than Mark Sanchez when he going to the Jets with that defense that he had and now stepping into a Denver team that has the best defense in the league. 
this just feels like a really good fit for him. Um, when he's asked to do too much, he's not a good quarterback. But when he's asked to just not lose the game, he's not too bad. So, I mean, going to Denver, they're, all they're going to ask for is, hey, don't turn the ball over, put, keep us in good field position, and let our defense win the game. And I, I think that he's able to do that. So, fantasy-wise, I'm not going to want Mark Sanchez on my team. But just NFL football-wise, I don't see why he can't be successful there. Um, RG3, I'm just out on the guy, man. I'm just out. Uh, I don't know. If he can't run, I just don't like the rest of his game. Uh, you have to be able to stand in the pocket and, and deliver the football for me to be a good quarterback, and he just doesn't do that. Uh, I should know this, but C.J. Anderson, he's in Miami now, right? I know. I think they signed him to an offer sheet. I'm going to have to look that up quick. But I wonder who's going to be the running back for Sanchez. Um Okay, Hillman is definitely with the Broncos, and so C.J. Anderson, they matched the offer sheet on Miami. So it yeah, will, that's what it, I thought. It will be Anderson and Hillman again in Denver, and um, I think that, that bodes well for Sanchez. I was concerned just thinking about if Anderson wasn't there with Hillman that they'd have to go out and get it back in the draft because I don't think Hillman can be a full-time guy. So that was my reason for um, asking that. All right, I want to – Go ahead. So I was going to ask, how much do you steer away from Broncos receivers? How much are you down on Sanders and, and Thomas now with the addition of Sanchez? Because we're all sitting here saying we don't want Sanchez on our team. So does that go hand-in-hand hand with are you shying away from Broncos receivers now? No, I, I'm still going to target both of them probably as wide receiver twos. Um, I think they both were good enough at times with, as we mentioned, a worse quarterback than Sanchez last year. So I still think they can be productive. But I think the safety in them is that their floor is probably higher than most others. I, I don't think there's a high ceiling with either of those guys anymore. Yeah, the ceiling is kind of a drop for both of those guys. I was thinking the same thing. But they're both still pretty elite talents. Uh, worthy of, of being in your starting lineup somewhere every week in, during the season. So um, I, I would still tar- I think I would still target Sanders a little more than Demarius. Uh I'm a little shaky on Demarius right now. All right, let's look at three bigger name running backs to switch teams. And I want to ask you guys who's going to have the bigger impact in fantasy football this year. Matt Forte goes to the Jets. DeMarco Murray to the Tennessee Titans. And Alfred Morris to the Dallas Cowboys. Um... I think these are three interesting signings for three very different reasons. Uh, I want to hear what you guys have to think about these three before I give you guys my thoughts. This one's tough for me. Um, It's tough to tell which one's going to be able to contribute more where they've gone. Um, I think Dallas is going to go Ezekiel Elliott, so I think that kind of rules out Alfred Morris. I don't know how much he's going to be used there. Um... It just seems like it's turned into a running back carousel there for them lately. Um, the Matt Forte, I think, is definitely my front runner out of the group. I still don't know what Tennessee is going to do. I still don't know how good DeMarco Murray is. 
he was great behind the offensive line in Dallas, but <clears throat> saw him running backwards a lot last year in Philly. We know it didn't fit him, but how much does playing beside Mariota and what they're trying to do with Mariota fit him? It still seems to me like it's it's out of his element, um, even though he says he came from playing in the spread in college and he could still do it. I haven't seen it. So I guess that lets me with Matt Forte. I think um, what we saw Blau Powell do at the end of the season last year as a receiving running back, I think is a big uptick for Forte, knowing that Chan Gelly is going to give him the opportunity to do things like that. The thing that scares me about Forte um, is that offensive line. Uh, Chris Ivory could have had a monster year last year if he had any blocking. There were so many games where his first 10 touches, he had negative two yards. Um, it resulted in him getting beat up. Worry about Forte being able to stay healthy behind that offensive line. But the one thing I do like is the fact that he should be able to remain the pass-catching threat that he's always been. So I give it to Forte, but I'm certainly not jumping out of my shoes to go grab any of these dudes in the draft um, like we once were with, with kind of many of these names. Um, if Dallas doesn't go Ezekiel Elliott, it's going to be interesting to see Alfred Morris because he was good at one time in Washington when they were a decent team. He had one good season. I think behind all, behind that offensive line, you know, we've said – on our podcast numerous times last year, what if this guy was there? What if this guy was there? It was kind of always fun to play. Well, now maybe one of the guys we always kind of threw out, but what if what if he had a shot? He gets that shot. So we'll see if he's the lead dog there, and we'll see if it means anything to him. It's kind of interesting to watch. Um, so those two definitely more interesting to watch than DeMarco Murray for me. I think I'm going to surprise you guys with where I go on this one. Uh, it's Matt Forte. He's the best player in the group. And he's going to have the most impact. Um, Forte is a stud. I'm not going to pass on him again if I get the chance. He just, he just produces. Um, still going. He just does everything. And he's going to be an RB1. Slot him in. Um, just guy's going to catch 50, 60 passes, and you can't pass that up. So for me, it's Matt Forte. It's not really that close. The Murray situation... You said it, Ed. It's just not him. This is not DeMarco Murray. That's not what he does well. So you go from a bad situation in Philadelphia to, I think, just a bad situation for him in Tennessee as well. Um, Alfred Morris, for me, is just a non-factor. I don't I don't even know if he's going to be the starter in Dallas, so I really don't think so. Uh, I agree. Forte will have the bigger impact. Um, I think that he's got a chance to score some touchdowns taking over that Chris Ivory role in in New York so uh, definitely like Forte's upside this year even as an older running back in the league um, I'd be willing to take a chance on DeMarco Murray um, just because I feel like he is a 20 carry guy in that offense I don't really see anybody contending with him for touches and sometimes I think he just beats people down with volume and eventually he breaks a couple later in the game because he is one of the better conditioned running backs in the league. Um, so I, I'm still in on DeMarco Murray as an RB2 or um, low-end RB1 if I end up going like a receiver in the first round. And then Alfred Morris, Eddie, I think you touched on it. As long as they don't add Ezekiel Elliott or another top back in the draft, um, I think he could do some really nice things in Dallas. We saw... An older Darren McFadden had a really nice season last year, and Morris is younger with fresher legs. Um, 
And I just think that if he were to get 15-plus carries a game behind that offensive line, I can't see any reason why he wouldn't average 70-plus yards a game. And I think there could be um, some real potential there. So I think we're all kind of on the same page. I'm a little higher on DeMarco and Morris than you guys are, I think. But uh, Forte is definitely a clear buy, I think, come this summer. Uh, Alright, so we just talked about three running backs. Let's talk about four wide receivers to switch teams. Weren't many big-name wide receivers available this offseason. Um, so the four names we're going to bring up, they're not exciting by any means. But I think there is some value um, with a couple of these guys just because of situations they're going into. Marvin Jones goes to the Detroit Lions. Him and Golden Tate will try and, you know, have that tall task of replacing Calvin Johnson as he retires this season. Um, Shane, sorry, buddy. I know he's one of your favorite players in the league. Travis Benjamin goes to San Diego. He can compete for um, catches and targets with a bunch of other similar wide receivers in San Diego that are all average or below average. Um, Muhammad Sanu goes to Atlanta. Looks like he'll be the number two guy across from Julio Jones now that Roddy White is no longer in Atlanta. And then Rashard Matthews goes to Tennessee where they never really had a guy step up. Everyone kept waiting for DGB to be the next guy um, to maybe be that Tennessee number one, but nobody ever really grabbed that job and ran with it. So Matthews will certainly have an opportunity there. Which one of those four are you guys most excited about? Uh, maybe even put them in order because I think one or two of them, in my mind, are actually pretty enticing. Well, for me, it's it's got to be Mohamed Sanu. Um, just the fact that you're playing opposite of Julio Jones um, always means that you're, you're most likely going to be single playing and getting single coverage all game long. Uh, so that's always a bright, a bright spot to have. Um, after that, uh, I guess it has to be Marvin Jones, just because I feel like with, with Calvin gone, I mean, his role is going to be pretty... Uh, pretty intact that he's going to get some targets and there's going to be some, some opportunity there. Uh, I'm, I'm out on Benjamin and I'm out on Matthews. Uh, Benjamin, just too many too many guys in San Diego um, to compete with for targets. Uh, Allen's obviously the number one option. And then after that, it's just, uh, just too many guys bunched up there. Uh, I don't know if this is a good fit for him. And Rashard Matthews, uh, not high on the guy. I'm not really high on any Tennessee receivers. So, uh, I'm out on Matthews as well. Yeah, I, I feel like I was a little more intrigued when I first read this one to you guys than you guys were. Um, I'm kind of intrigued by all these guys because it's kind of it's kind of the rat race of finding these guys that kind of break out. Um, and these are some guys that have an opportunity to, to change some things. Um, I think there's a nice opportunity for Marvin Jones, like you said, they're replacing Calvin Johnson. There's going to be a lot of a lot of targets up for grabs there. It's not a real deep receiving core, so I think that he's got a nice chance to step in there. He had a decent year last year um, in Cincinnati, so there's there's definitely some opportunity for him. Um, I was probably least excited about Mohamed Sanu until I listened to Shane talk about you know the single coverage and stuff. I still don't know how I feel about him. Um, Someone that I'm actually kind of more excited about now is if as they get that receiving court deeper is Justin Hardy, the kid that was a rookie last year. I'm, I'm looking for him to get a little bit of a shot. 
in that receiving core. It's more of a slot guy, but if Sanu can go in there and do some things, I kind of like Hardy. Um, Travis Benjamin in San Diego. I know Shane doesn't like him. He's kind of tough to like, uh, but he had kind of a breakout season last year, and it's it's easy to say he doesn't fit in San Diego, but I think he brings something to San Diego that they haven't really had. Um, you know, they tried to use Stevie Johnson as a guy to stretch the field for them last year. I, I can't remember a guy that's really been able to stretch the field for Phillip Rivers in a, in a while. Uh, Floyd was able to do it a little bit last year, but he, the, the guys just couldn't stay healthy. So while you say there's a lot of guys there, it's, it's a concern to see how many stay healthy. So I, I think he brings something to them that they haven't had, so I think it's intriguing. I mean, if he was able to have that season that he had, it was a big breakout at the beginning, and then it kind of fizzled out as it went through. But, you know, he was quietly getting almost 10 catches there for a while, it seemed like. If he was able to do that in Cleveland, um, I'm sure Phillip Rivers is going to find a way to incorporate him somehow. Um, and the last one, Rashard Matthews. I don't, I don't love it. Um, I know we talked about him in one of our late-season podcasts because he kind of finally got his shot in Miami and he did some nice things. That's why I thought it was it was worth including him. But like Shane said, I don't want any piece of Tennessee receivers. There's just – the jury's still out on Mariota in my mind big time. I'm still not buying into it. There's still not enough weapons there for a guy of his stature to come in and really feel like they're going to have a chance. You almost need – the situation like some of the other guys I talked about, like like we talked about with Sanu walking in and having the opportunity to be single covered. Like you need that opportunity to be successful, I feel like, for these guys because they're all low-tier two guys. You know, they're flex guys that you're looking to really kind of hit a flash in the pan with. So, um, If I were to rank these guys, I'd go Marvin Jones, Muhammad Sanu, Travis Benjamin, Richard Matthews. Um, I have Matthews fourth for all the reasons you guys mentioned. Travis Benjamin third, just because I think he's less talented than Jones and Sanu. I like Sanu in Atlanta, but it's been a little while since that second receiver in Atlanta actually produced. Um, It may be that Roddy White was a declining talent. It may be because Julio Jones is really that good. Or it may be, you know, last year Devontae Freeman broke out. Um, it also may be because Matt Ryan may may not be that good. So, for a bunch of different reasons, I have Sanu behind Marvin Jones. I have Marvin Jones first just because Detroit seems to, I think as Shane would put it, suck something awful. And they usually have to chuck the ball all game long because they just seem to be one of those teams that the ball never bounces their way. So They love to lose. Yeah. <laughs> They're losers. Yeah. Um, I think we would also be remiss if we don't talk about, you know, we're talking about receivers here. Ladarius Green goes to Pittsburgh. He's a tight end, but seems like they went out and get got him to replace Martavis Bryant because he fails another drug test and is now suspended for the entire 2016 season. Ladarius Green's been a guy that in fantasy circles, has been talked about a lot the last two years because of his big playability. Um, Phil Rivers seemed to lean on him a lot of times, especially when Antonio Gates was out due to injury. What can Big Ben do with another weapon in Ladarius Green? And 
how much of an impact can this guy have in fantasy leagues next year? This was probably one of my favorite offseason moves, and not because I'm a Steelers fan and what it meant to the Steelers and not because of Martavis Bryant, but because of the text that we shared. The day they picked up with Darius Green, we both texted each other and said, what in the hell are they doing? It didn't make sense to us at all. And then it was about three days later, two days later, that the news broke of Martavis Bryant. And then we both texted each other and said, that's what they were doing. Um, so I think it's the right move for them. They needed to get another weapon with Martavis Bryant out. Um, you know, I, as a Steelers fan, I hated the Martavis Bryant news because I know that they need him to be effective in what they're trying to do. But as a fantasy player in our league, I absolutely love the Martavis Bryant news because when Butler made the trade for Martavis Bryant last year, you guys snuck me and FaceTimed me to tell me about the trade. And I said, what in the hell is he doing? And then here it is. He was in the room. And I had to try and back up my stance on why he was trading for Martavis Bryant. And all I heard was about how he was a keeper and this and that and the other thing. And now he can't keep him. So there was a lot of underlying karma that I thought was kind of funny with it. Um, but I think the Steelers are going to be fine. Uh, I think what Darius Green is going to add some things to, to their offense. Uh, it's going to be exciting to see what he can do. It's, it's kind of something that Ben's never really had. I think Heath Miller would have been out of the league a long time ago if he wasn't on that team because he just, I mean, he wasn't really a great pass-catching tight end. He was that hybrid guy that could do the blocking and do those things, but he made a career because I feel like Ben kept him in, incorporated in the offense. Um, so to have this type of weapon, it's going to be interesting to watch. Um, I, don't, I don't know where he's going to fall in the landscape of tight ends. It was a pretty dry landscape last year, so it's going to be interesting to see who really bites on him and where he starts falling in standard drafts and things like that because he could be a guy that is poised for a breakout season with some targets up for grabs there. Yeah, this one's interesting for me. Uh, Green has always been the kind of guy that's right on the fringe of being that startable tight end. Um, you can spot start him. He's not necessarily a guy that you're going to have in there every week, but he finds himself on the waiver wire free agency in a lot of leagues, I feel like. And he's kind of usually that, that guy that you target if you need a, need a guy to fill in. And I, I think he instantly with this move slots into a must-start tight end. Um, he's not Heath Miller by any means as far as they're, they're just not the same kind of player. But I, I think the excitement level for Green is more is definitely more than Miller. Um, he has that big playability for a tight end that, that's kind of rare. So I think this is a, this is a really good move for the Steelers. Uh, anytime you get into a high-powered offense like the Steelers have, the good quarterback uh, should be a good move uh, for the player, for Ladarius Green. So I'm excited for what, what, what could possibly happen there in Pittsburgh with him. Yeah, I'll throw it out. One thing I one thing I didn't hit on while I was talking. Sorry, Kaz. No, you're good. Uh, I'll throw it out now. Far before your fantasy football magazines come out, I just have this gut feeling that a guy that's going to be on every sleeper list on everything you look at is going to be Sammy Coates. He's going to be everywhere with Martavis Bryant out. Everyone's going to be buying in fully to Sammy Coates and and what he can do. Um, he's a physical specimen. I think the only thing that kept him off the field last year, from what they were saying, was his inability to learn the playbook. So I have no doubts that. Ben's going to be spending a lot of hours in his dorm room during training camp and getting him up to speed because they're going to need someone else to step in. It's not going to – Darius Green's not going to split out and do what Mark Davis Bryant does. He's going to help uh, with his skill set. But I think Sammy Coates is going to be in for possibly a breakout year 
Um, so that's going to be interesting to watch. Completely different frame and skill set that Antonio Brown brings. So there's a lot of weapons there. Here's a quick trivia question for you guys. Where did Sammy Coates play his college ball? Auburn. Yeah, Auburn. Everyone knew that. Everyone, yeah, Auburn. Okay. Everyone. Just checking. Marcus Wheaton went to Oregon State <laughs> in case you were con- in case you were confused. Um, just let's play a quick game of Ladarius Green. I want to know where he kind of falls in on your guys' tight end rankings. Um, Gronk and Olsen we obviously have ahead of him. I think we would have Jordan Reed ahead of him too. Those are probably the top three tight ends in football. Um, what about Delaney Walker? Delaney Walker or Ladarius Green? I feel like I'd go Walker just because of the year he had last year. He's coming back. You feel like it's only going to get better. Um, it's tough to put a guy on a new team ahead of someone that had a pretty decent year last year, I think, in my mind. There there may very well be some growing pains with Ladarius Green the first couple weeks of the season. Um, with Ben extending plays and things like that, I can just... I can almost picture it in my mind. He's going to throw the ball left when Darius Green goes right, and he's going to be doing his hands-on-his-head thing that he always does. Um, so I would go Walker. I'll go Walker. Yeah, in the interest of time here, I know you're excited to talk about football, but let's keep this to uh, one-word answers because <laughs> we still haven't talked about the Eagles yet. Um, Travis Kelsey. Kelsey. Kelsey, but it's getting closer. Gary Barnage. Ladarius Green. Green. Tyler Eifert. Oof. Eifert. I think, yeah, I think it's Eifert still. Um. Zach Ertz. Green. Green. Julius Thomas. Oof. Green. I think I'll go Thomas. Okay, and then uh, I guess the last guy I'd want to talk about is Ben Watson in Baltimore. Green. Green. All right, so, yeah, I think we're all on the same page. Green's probably, like, the sixth tight end, five, six, somewhere in there. Um, Going to be a premium to get him on draft day because everybody gets excited about the Pittsburgh offense. So, um, definitely a lot to be excited about there with Ladarius Green. All right. Let's move on, and let's get to what everybody wants to talk about. Two trades the last week. um, I guess the last two weeks. Eagles and Rams both trade for the first and second pick in the draft. The Rams do it first last week. Give up a King's Ransom to get the number one pick in the draft. Uh, No secret that they desperately need a quarterback. And I don't think Tennessee was in love with anything at the top, and they need a lot more than one player. Um, so they get a boatload of picks. And then today, the Eagles shocked the world and give up pretty much just as much um, to get the number two pick in the draft after they spent a ton of money this offseason on Sam Bradford and Chase Daniel. And the consensus seems to be that the Eagles will also take a quarterback. Um, top two quarterbacks in this draft class are Jared Goff and Carson Wentz. Um, if I had to guess today, I guess Goff's going to go to the Rams and Wentz to the Eagles. Eddie, I think you have a lot to say about these two trades, so I'm just going to let you take the floor here for a little bit. Yeah, I think for the teams that traded out of the top spots, 
they were great moves for both of them. Tennessee was up there last year and shirt up their quarterback spot. They need a lot of other things. So for them to move out, I thought was a, a smart move. It made sense. Um, and I think they won the trade. As far as the Rams moving up, it made a lot more sense to me for the Rams to do this than it did for the Eagles. Because I feel like the Rams already have a, def- a decent defense built to play behind. The thing that I question with them going up and getting the quarterback is I still don't know who they're going to throw the ball to. I still feel like there's no receivers there. Tavon Austin had a decent year last year, but he can't be your number one. We'll, we've all been saying that. I think we all agree with that. I think we'll all die saying that, that Tavon Austin can't be your guy. So, I mean, I get that you need a quarterback to win in this league, but I don't feel like either one of these guys going up to the top is like you're going up to get Peyton Manning when he came out or a guy of Andrew Luck's stature. So it didn't really make that much sense. Um, but another reason why it made more sense for the Rams is I feel like this is a last-ditch effort for Jeff Fisher and the GM and everybody with the Rams. If this doesn't work out, then they're going to kind of go down with the ship like the captain, and you know, at least they made a run at it because Jeff Fisher's never really had a quarterback um, while he's been with the Rams. As far as the Eagles, I, I don't get it at all. Um, I don't know why you would bring Bradford in and – then go and do this like we said before we came on the air why not do it last year to get Mariota someone that you, you, everyone felt has a lot some longevity in the league why would you go get him why would you go up this year and you're going to get Carson Wentz a D1 AA quarterback then who knows what he's going to do uh, facing those guys and I said to you guys jokingly, jokingly before we came on the last time a trade came off like this was when they went up for RG3 and he played in the Big 12 yeah he lit the Big 12 defenses on fire that's got to be similar to playing against D1 AA defenses, in my opinion. So for the Eagles, I thought it was terrible. Um, talking with some Eagles fans today, talking about how it could be a good thing for them, but even if they get their quarterback, you still can't. They still can't defend anyone. So I, I don't know how it makes sense. Um, I don't know. I, maybe it motivates Bradford, and he has a great year because uh, apparently he's pretty upset, and I would be too. Um, maybe it's. Bradford's way out of the league, who knows, but not a whole lot of sense being made by the Eagles. And how much of this, the Rams' motivation is, we're in L.A., big big city, shiny lights, let's uh, give all of our rich fans something to be really excited about so they buy tickets to our games. Um, we have the number one pick, we have the, the, the best thing in town, uh, how much of that is... is led to their decision making see i don't i don't get that thought process because that's what everyone on the networks are saying well they're in they're moving to the big city they need this big splash they're trying to make a splash isn't a winning product on the field a bigger splash than a number one overall quarterback isn't going out and winning 10 games and making the playoffs better and don't you do that by getting four or five guys that contribute that can contribute this year possibly rather than going out and getting one guy that's probably two or three years away from being a good quarterback. I mean, I, I just don't understand that. To me, moving to a new city and trying to win over new fans, I'd much rather have a winning product out there than a big splash of a number one overall pick. You think the Rams were four or five players away, or were they a quarterback away? I know you said they need some playmakers in the receiving game, but that defense, that's pretty legit. Yeah, but I, to me, taking a quarterback, I don't. 
I just don't feel like I feel like by the time that quarterback is ready, your defense is going to be on the decline. If you've got the defense now, go out and get a game manager. Go out and get someone like a Hoyer, a guy that took his team to the playoffs. He was dreadful in the playoffs, yeah, but he got them there. He played well enough to get them there. I mean, go out, go out and get a game manager that can come in and do that and go get two receivers for him and let that defense play and give him two targets. Going out and getting Jared Goff, when Jared Goff's going to come in and, for all we know, be a rookie quarterback, come in and do what rookie quarterbacks do and not give them a chance to win ball games. I'd much rather build around a game manager with some weapons than go get a quarterback that you don't know what you're getting. Yeah, I think this is just two really bad moves by the teams that moved up and two great moves by the teams that moved down. Um, I think the thing that's getting lost here that we're, we're not really, we haven't hit on yet is are these two quarterbacks that good? Because um, that's kind of what it comes down to. In this league, you have to have a decent quarterback to win. In, in most cases. I mean, if you want to be successful in the NFL today, you, you generally have to have a good quarterback. Um, so, are Goff and Carson Wentz worthy of being traded all these picks away to get these two guys? I don't think we know. No one watches North Dakota State and no one really watches Cal um, enough. So I, I don't think a lot of people know. And it's just going to be interesting to see. I'm wondering if the Eagles trade Bradford now. We talked about Denver maybe not being entirely happy with Sanchez. Um, I know Chip Kelly, you know, isn't necessarily... I think he wants Kaepernick more than Kaepernick wants to stay in San Francisco. Maybe now they ship Bradford back to the coach that wanted him so bad. I mean, there's got to be another move to follow up here because it just doesn't make sense that they spent so much money on Bradford and Daniel... And now they, you know, mortgage their draft for next for this year and next year for a quarterback that really could be the third quarterback on a roster right now. So um, I feel like there's got to be a corresponding move to go with this, but I haven't heard anybody talking about it yet, so I don't know. And like you're saying, they mortgage their, they mortgage their draft not only for this year but next year. So you're talking about a team, are they three or four players away from being there? Well, now you're talking six or eight players. Yeah, this feels... This feels like a 4-12 and team that's not going to have a first-round pick next year. Right now. Today, that's what this feels like. And that's yeah. just, uh, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense at all. You're, you're right. It feels like something has to happen with Bradford because if you had Bradford in place, why, I just don't get it. Why wouldn't you try to build around him? He wasn't that bad last year. I mean, you think he's only going to get a little bit better. He finally played a full season. He's making progress. I just don't understand why you wouldn't try to build your defense around them. Like Shane said, you need a good quarterback to be good. I think there's two things that allow you to be good in the NFL. It's either a really good quarterback or a really good defense. The Eagles aren't getting either one here. They're not building their defense because they're giving up all their picks. They're not getting a really good quarterback, at least as far as we know. So I don't know how it makes sense for them. Yeah, it's just just mind-boggling. I think really this could turn into being – I know they, they take a lot of heat and they're, they get made fun of a lot. This could be a really good move for the Browns. I mean, they could end up I, – I think we can all agree that they're not going to be a very great football team this year. So they could end up having two, two picks in the top five, eight, somewhere in that range next year. I mean, and, and 
a lot of wiggle room to make some some really interesting moves to to see what's out there in, in next year's draft, especially. Yeah, and the other reason why it's a good move for the Browns is I believe if they sat at two and took another quarterback, don't you think those fans would have burnt the city to the ground? <laughs> they would just probably firebomb that stadium. Another quarterback, another shot on a quarterback. I mean, I couldn't imagine how disgruntled already paper bag head-wearing <laughs> Browns fans would be if they had another quarterback coming in there in the second overall pick. Yeah, they kind of just have to let this RG3 thing pit. Um, play out and see what they have with him, I think, at this point. It wouldn't have made any sense for them to go get another quarterback either, like you said. Um, you know, prospects that we're excited about in this draft, Laquan Treadwell and Ezekiel Elliott, I think, are the top two um, fantasy impact draft prospects that we're talking about. This is probably the first year in a while that None of these fir- none of these first round quarterbacks are going to be taken um, highly in fantasy drafts. I mean, both these guys may even go undrafted. Yeah, I can't see either of these guys getting really drafted in our league. Um, to me, none of them are a top fifteen guy. Yeah. Um, probably not going to go. But yeah, you, you touched on Treadwell's definitely a guy we've been looking at for a while. I mean. Just a real big physical receiver, um, lot lot of talent there. So he's probably the, the receiver I'm looking at most. Obviously, Elliott's the running back we're looking at most. Who uh, who are the other guys you guys are, are looking at? Um, just ones that I've been thinking about are Corey Coleman. Yep. Um, certainly a top receiver from Baylor, and uh, I'm looking at Will Fuller uh, from Notre Dame. Um, that was the other one that I was kind of looking at, intrigued about. Um, who are you looking at, Ed? Honestly, I don't dig a whole lot into the draft prospects because I feel like so many guys on the offensive side are taken so much later in the draft. You look at all the receivers that have come out of these small schools and just been great. Um, so I don't always try to dig into the draft. It, 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 to me, it all depends on where they fall. Ezekiel Elliott becomes a completely different guy for a fantasy draft if he's in Dallas as compared to Cleveland, for example. So to me, until they're drafted, it's, it doesn't do a lot of good to really dig into him. I, me being a football guy and a defensive guy, I dig a lot more into the defensive side. I'm excited to see where guys like Jalen Ramsey go and uh, the kid from Ole Miss. I don't even know how to say his name. The defensive tackle. Um, guys like that. But I, they don't have any fantasy impact, so... Until the draft's done, I don't dig into rookies. I'll tell you right now, if Elliott goes to Dallas, he's a second-round pick, in my opinion. Um, I think there's real potential for that to pay off in a big way. And Treadwell, for me, the spot for him to go that could be really, really interesting is if he were to end up with the Giants. Um, Eli's really desperately needed a number two alongside Beckham. And I think that could that could pay off in a big way for both those guys. So those would be two ideal landing spots, in my opinion, that would really shoot those guys up draft boards. Yeah, that, that would be an absolute great landing spot for Treadwell. Um, that Giants number two, three receiving spot has been just an absolute disaster in, in, in the fantasy world, especially, and, and in real life. So uh, they, they, they certainly need to improve there somewhere. Um, 
Treadwell would be a really interesting fit there for Eli. Give him another weapon. Um, yeah, the, the Elliott one, just like you said, Ed, if he goes to a team that's not really a good team, it's hard to get excited about running backs that, that go to bad teams. But if the chips fall perfectly for him and he goes to a team that, that has a solid offensive line, good pieces around him, I think Elliott could be a pretty special talent. Last thing I want to talk about tonight um, just came out today that Josh Norman is now a unrestricted free agent. Um, the Panthers kind of removed the restricted franchise tag from him, so they will not be re-signing Josh Norman. That's a big hit to the Carolina defense. Um, Ed, how much does that negatively impact? I think what was one of the one of the top defenses in the league in fantasy terms. I think, looking at it, it's easy to say that it's going to impact him a lot, but the, the more you dig into it, the more you find there's a lot of concern with him. You know, this was kind of a, a, like a flash in a pan year for him. that He can't kind of came out of nowhere. He wasn't good before this year, and then all of a sudden this year he stepped up on this big stage. Um, I was reading some stuff earlier today after it came out about Chris Harris talking about how he's not even in the top five or top three corners in the league, so it made sense for them to cut him loose because he's going to want like $16 million. Um, from everything I'm reading, it just sounds like they knew they weren't going to sign him to a big deal, so why keep him around with the tag if they knew they weren't going to get him? But as I was saying to you guys, I wouldn't be surprised if some sort of news broke, almost like we saw with the Darius Green pickup, where the news broke with Mar- Martavis Bryant. Um I don't, I don't know what kind of guy Josh Norman is. I don't know if there's a drug test lingering or something. I don't know. It just seemed really weird that it came out of nowhere. Um, and it was so abrupt and out of left field. So I don't know what it means for him. It's interesting to see where he's going to go if, he, if, in fact, he's eligible to play and something doesn't come out. It's going to mean something to some defense, you would think. Um, finding a fit for him could be tough, though. Um, Maybe the Raiders, they're trying to really bolster that defense. That could be interesting. Um, and that really could put the Raiders on the land on the on landmark for a fantasy-relevant defense for the first time in a long time with Mack and some of the guys they've got there. They added Bruce um, Irwin, too, this offseason. Or Bruce Irvin. Yeah, so, I mean, that's a team that's getting better. So, it's going to be interesting to see where he falls and what it means. Um I don't know. Kind of came out of left field. It's tough to tough to make sense out of it. It's almost almost as far out of left field as the Eagles. Yeah. As soon as the news broke, I I messaged both of you guys. Just kind of shocking, um, and that we were looking at places that he might end up. And uh, a lot of sources are saying he wants to play in California. That's that's the early news that he wants to play somewhere in California. So I think the first thing I saw was the Niners are the front runners. So. I don't know how good of a fit that is uh, or why he would really want to go to the Niners, but um, <laughs> that's uh, that, that's the news that I've, that I've heard so far. So Yeah, I, I agree with you, Ed. For my first response was this feels like a Raiders overpayment. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, checking in on where Norman goes because I do think there is going to be some fantasy impact. Um I don't know. It's going to be interesting, but yeah, I agree. It came out of left field, and the team we found out in the last couple of years that the teams know about failed drug tests or um, league suspensions that are about to come down months in advance before we ever hear from them. 
or hear about them. So um, this this may have some more impact other than just the football side of things. So I think that about wraps up tonight. Um, it was good to talk football because it's been a little while. I think Shane and I desperately needed an hour reprieve from baseball. We've been going pretty hard at it here the last couple of weeks. So um, it's been good to kind of switch gears and get Eddie back on. Um, make Ed a regular part of our lives again. So, you guys have anything before we finish this thing up? That's good to be talking with you again, big guy. Yes, sir. It's good to be back. Excited to see what else unfolds for the offseason. Draft right around the corner. Maybe we'll have another one after the draft and be able to actually talk about where some of these prospects have fallen and what it, what it is going to mean to their fantasy value. All right. So, yeah, look for us to... Talk to you guys after the draft. Um, kind of like Eddie said, highlight where some of these guys go. Go ahead and find us on Twitter at Red Triangle Twenty Three, and you can find the Red Triangle Sports Podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review, um, and just give us some feedback. So, signing off for Red Triangle, I am Matt Kozlowski. Thanks for joining me, Shane and Eddie. Um, have a good one, fellas.